Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to another episode of Truths Be Told, the podcast, Quarantine Edition. I'm your self-isolating host, Lindsay Mullen, and uh, this episode is being recorded in my apartment, which um, isn't really that different from what I normally do when I record, except the difference is usually when I record here, it's because I want to. And right now, I'm recording here because I want to and because I have to. Yes, that's right. Uh, There is a health crisis, a pandemic going on in our world. I'm sure you've heard about it. You know, God, I hope you're not hearing about it from me. That would be sad and scary. If that's the case, please turn on a news outlet. Talk to a family member or friend. Yes, uh, the coronavirus has um, swept the globe and uh, we are all self-isolating. Hopefully, hopefully you're hearing this while distancing yourself from other people. And uh, yeah, this is unprecedented in our lifetime, in our parents' lifetime. God, I I don't think this has been something um, that we've taken on as a human race since Spanish influenza in like, what was that, like 1918? So yeah, this is a weird time. And uh, a lot of us are scared. And I'm not going to dwell on it too much on this episode because I think it's so important to enjoy a slice of normalcy at this time. And, but I do think I should talk about it just for a couple minutes because this is a weird moment in history and it would be strange for me to gloss over it. Um, the supermarket is weird. The streets are weird. Um, this is day nine of isolation for me. Uh, I, I mean, I go on walks. I go on walks by myself and I get fresh air. And I listen to podcasts because Lord knows I need them right now. And, uh... I have been affected um, financially by this situation, much like every other artist I know. I've been lucky, though. I've been so lucky compared to every other artist I know. I have a family who's able to help me out in a tough time. Um, 
I was basically let go from my serving job because that's my um, Joe job that keeps me afloat uh, as an actor. And of course, auditions are not happening. Uh, So really, I feel lucky though because I had a lot of friends who had openings of plays and um, shoots for things and and huge career acting milestones that were going to happen for them. And those were effectively shut down or postponed. The only thing that I had postponed was an improv class I was teaching. And uh, other than that, and not having any income coming in, I guess what I'm saying is I didn't have any big dream jobs um, blow up in my face. So I'm lucky and uh, I'm using this time to clean my home. My room is very messy and uh, I also am trying to do things I never do. I don't read books anymore, guys. I'm the type of person now who will read half a book, get distracted and busy, and then forget where I was in the book or what was going on in the book, and then I just kind of give up, and I think that's really sad. So I'm taking this time to FaceTime with loved ones and keep in contact, and I'm taking this time to try and read and do spring cleaning and do all the things I was planning to do anyways that just take place in my home. I've had a lot of experience as an actor being unemployed for large stretches of time, so being housebound is not that crazy to me. Um, What is crazy is this low hum of anxiety this uncertainty about what's going to happen and uh, I'll be at home and everything will seem fine and I'm just living my life and then I'll suddenly realize that I'm at home because everything out in the real world is shut Um, and also to experience the idea that the real world, quote unquote, isn't really that real. Everything we take for granted, um, the the economic system, all the little pleasures of visiting friends in the park or or uh, going for coffee, all those little things can be stripped away in a moment. If you told me two weeks ago that this would be the intro of this episode of the podcast, I would be horrified. Who knew this could happen? So yeah, the panic and the anxiety comes in waves. I've certainly had a few breakdowns. I'll just burst into tears during all of this. Or think I'm sick. Because my body, my body is so worried. I feel like I have psychosomatic symptoms where I'll imagine I'm experiencing some things and then they'll just immediately go away once I'm not thinking about stressful stuff anymore. 
So yeah, honestly, in a weird way, I think this is a bit of a gift. Not the sickness and the pain and the suffering that everyone is experiencing. And honestly, people are experiencing extreme suffering. Please, I don't want you to think I'm being one of those uh, spiritual people that just says, your pain is a gift. It's That's not what I mean. I mean, for me personally, I feel like I've been given a moment to stop and take stock of my life and my choices and what I want out of life. I feel like if you're in the position to do so, you should sit down with a notebook alone in a room and really take an inventory of where you're at in life. Are you happy with career? Are you happy with the relationships you've cultivated? I certainly learn a lot about my relationships when I'm in a time of trouble, that's for sure. Sit with yourself, sit with the uncertainty, meditate, take some time to think about your life as a whole and all the things you might take for granted. Use this time to disconnect from the uh, commercialism and capitalism we were all brought up on. I've had a couple urges to go buy things. Isn't that insane? Everything's shut down. I'm not supposed to be frivolously spending, and yet I have this desire to, to buy something. I think we're addicted to buying things to feel better. It's very strange. Okay, I could ramble on forever, and this is beginning to feel a little bit like I'm Will Smith in I Am Legend. Is anybody out there? Can anyone hear? Can anyone hear me? Are there any survivors? Guys, I'm, g- I'm going to end the talking about coronavirus on a positive note. This is what I'm going to say to you. The fact that you're listening to this podcast right now is a very good sign. It means that you shut out all the news for an hour. You stepped away from panic and you chose to do something that feels good. And I promise I'll stop talking about coronavirus and get to my fun topic in just a moment. I just want to praise you for for doing something normal that feels normal. Um, and you're doing way better than you think you are. No matter how painful or scary this is, you're doing tremendously. And people care about you. And this is not a forever state. This is temporary. And there's a very, very strong chance that in the near future, our life is going to go back to normal. And we will say, wow, I spent all that time at home. And I just spent it panicking. And I never fixed that shelf. Why the fuck didn't I fix the shelf? I was at home for weeks and weeks by myself with nothing to do. 
and all I did was watch Love is Blind on Netflix and have panic attacks. Honestly, guys, if you're wearing pants right now while listening to this, you deserve a high five. You are killing it right now. Okay, let's talk about this episode. This episode of Truth Be Told, the podcast, is all about moms. Yeah, the episode is called Mommy Magic, because moms are magical, aren't they? Yeah, they are. They're beautiful, lovely, selfless beings who bring us into the world, and uh, they work so hard to take care of us and set us on the path for the rest of our lives. And, um, God, motherhood, I imagine it's very, very tricky, which is why I'm putting it off as long as possible. But I want to do it one day. I do. I'm just very scared. Because the relationship between myself and my mother is very complicated. There's a lot of pain there, much like there's pain between my father and I. Oh, I love my mom dearly. Uh, But, you know, I feel like I've been spending my adult life making up for being kind of a kind of an asshole in my childhood. And um, I have a lot of resentment and a lot of issues and hang-ups. And we've done family therapy. But I do feel like I'm turning a corner with stuff with my mom. And I feel like she's put in a really strong effort to turn a corner with me. And over the last year, we've really, we've really become more connected in a new way and I think we're redefining our relationship and I feel so much more appreciative of my mom I was trying to think of a story about my mom for you guys and of course there's a million but I don't know it was weird I couldn't think of one with a beginning middle and end I mostly thought of like sweet anecdotes like her singing to me or When I was little, her holding me in front of the bathroom mirror and saying, who's that in the mirror? And then three or four-year-old me says, Lindsay and mommy. Um, I think about how my mom's a scatterbrain who forgets everything and sometimes says a lot of dorky things and how... That used to make me crazy and I'm happy now that it's beginning to be something I can love in my mom. A lot of the things that used to tick me off are now slowly becoming things that I appreciate. And I appreciate that she's been patient with me through this whole pandemic because I phone her a lot and... um, She's trying to be there for me, and I can be emotionally exhausting as a human being. I have a lot of lows and a lot of highs, and I'm kind of hard to read, and my mom struggles with that. So, yeah, listen, I have a lot of anger towards my mom about stuff, but at the end of the day, it's a relationship that has helped me grow spiritually, and um, I'd be devastated if she wasn't around. So, I love you, Mom. 
Ooh, I'm feeling a little weird. Well, uh, that's just probably the pandemic talking. Love you, Mom. Uh, let's keep it light. Let's keep it light. Guys, the quote of the episode is by American news journalist Barbara Walters. Mm-hmm. And her quote is, Motherhood is tough. If you just want a wonderful little creature to love, you can get a puppy. You see, guys, none of the sappy mom quotes really connected with me. Um, But uh, that sassy quote did. Listen, just because you have a mom doesn't mean you're close, doesn't mean the relationship functions normally, doesn't mean anything. We're all just doing our best. All right, I'm very happy with this episode, guys. There's lots of amazing women on this episode. And uh, the panel discussion also. Let's start with that. I don't normally start with the panel discussion, but it was incredible. So I wanted to make sure you guys heard it first. Um, And the stories, amazing. I'm so lucky I had these guests on the show and that I recorded these interviews and stories um, right before the pandemic picked up speed in Canada and we all started isolating ourselves. So, guys, stay strong. Um, You're on my mind. And uh, we're going to get through this. Here's the rest of the episode. with Christy Bruce and Aurora Brown. Hi. They, hi. hi. Hello. Hello. They are both uh, um, comedy performers, actors, improvisers, sketch people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Christy yeah. Bruce wants you to know she's the star of Stage and Screen. <laughs> <laughs> she is. Yeah. She's like done... more like co-star or like neighbor. The neighbor of Star and Screen. Yeah. She has moments on screen that you go, who's that lady? I'd like to see more. Oh. Right? And also, I mean, you and I know each other because we performed in Blind Date, which was a show on stage, and then you do so many commercials and TV appearances. It was very good. Oh, thank you, Lindsay. You're very good. Uh, Aurora Brown, hello. We don't know each other as well. You were on Baroness Von Sketch. Yes, yes. Which is a very exciting show that everyone talks about. (laughs) Uh, thank you for for saying that. Uh, um, yeah, that's that's my job. You're one of the that's main a, ladies. I'm one of the main ladies. Yes, I do other things too, but that's kind of been the main the main thing for the last little bit. It's just so exciting to say. So I had to say. I, I know you you've had a full career so far. <laughs> yes. So far, I will say I do not book as often as Christy Bruce does that, because you're busy filming your TV your your <laughs> own TV show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to sit with these two ladies, and we're going to talk about the topic of motherhood Mm. and I thought if I'm going to talk about motherhood on this show originally I was stupid I was like oh I'll talk to two guys and I'm like why would I talk to two guys because I just thought I'd ask them like are they mama's boys and what's what's your view on your mother and like I thought I'd get really pop psychology on it and then I went why on earth am I not interviewing mothers and then I thought ooh, I want to interview two people that I would think 
oh, that's the kind of mom I'd like to be. Oh. Yeah. So I wanted to interview you both and uh, ask you about your lives and um, your deep, deep, uh, deep thoughts on being a mom. Mm. Well, just before we started recording, maybe I should... Yeah, listeners know about this. We were just talking about perimenopause. Perimenopause. Yes. What is perimenopause? It means about to happen. It's like it can be like Almost? two to ten years before menopause. Yeah, it's when the estrogen starts. Well, although then I read that estrogen starts declining once you hit your thirties. Yeah. So then it's Great. just the more declining of the estrogen. I mean, I have no idea because, like, I got pregnant when I was thirty-seven. Uh, which, you know, what I heard growing up was like after 35, like it's just mm -hmm. a shit show. You can't do it. There'll be something totally wrong with the baby, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So my baby was fine. How old are you when you got pregnant? 35. Yeah. I'll say, we're See, both this doing is, pretty this well. This is why you guys are my, my goals because I would like to do it like at 40 or something. Yeah. I don't, have a life I, first. yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm certainly, I think I'm a better mom now than I would have been had I had a baby when I was 22 or something. Plus, my options for fatherhood much better now. Oh, could you imagine? Having, oh. I sometimes I think that like, what if I, I know, actually right? got pregnant with the people I dated? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Bless>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that would have been something. No, I'm very happy. But you know, they you know, like when when people get older, like the grandparent, like technically, I could be a grandmother right now. Mm -hmm. Actually, not even technically, um, fully. And uh, grandparents make like more chill parenting figures, mm -hmm. and so may so I feel like I'm a little more chill now. But but you were mentioning perimenopause <laughs> yes. because because I think I in last September I think I might have dropped my last egg <laughs> because I had the most intense like you know when you ovulate you have like hey that like could we maybe let's think about a family like everything's possible kind of feeling, and I had the 36 hours like. It was like I'd been hypnotized and all I could think about was babies and I was convinced that Chris and I, I like was texting him saying like, be home so we can try this. What? Wow. So that we could have another one. I was just convinced it would work even though I was about to head into like a season of shooting and somehow, but I just needed to do it. And um, it didn't. It didn't happen. Um, and then the since sex the, or the baby, <laughs> the baby. <laughs> and that day the sex. He had he had a lot of appointments to go to, so it was like, oh, we missed the window. And then I the the feeling went away. And then, like not even a few days later, I was like, what was I thinking? Um, but then just now, I've had my first like, hey, it's been eight weeks since I've had a period kind of thing. It came, but like, so you think that was like. The, the death rattle of your fertility being like, let's, let's do it. Let's get, let's get one more. That's absolutely what I thought it was. Yeah. Oh my God. See, this is funny because I've never craved children. It was a, I got drunk and it was a surprise. My beautiful child. Super fertile. Super fertile. Who I babysit sometimes. Yes, you do. Brennan. Yeah. 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 I'm, yeah I was like, the lesson of it only takes once. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I've, I've never, I've like... I've never had that, like, I, I just get super horny. I've never had, like, I want babies. It's just the sex part without the baby. This is the other reason I wanted to interview you on this topic. Right. Is because uh, you, you've you been so open and honest about how you didn't really feel maternal for a no. long time. And I think that's really refreshing because I think women feel very, very, uh, like, crazy or weird if, if they're not like that. Like, people make them feel bad about it. Yeah, it's the story that we've been told that all women are natural mothers, that all women want to be mothers, and I think the story of why I talk so openly about it is because I do think that that narrative has not been spoken much in, in our culture, and I think it's a really important one. And I actually had a lot of women come to me when I was pregnant and then after I was pregnant being like, I don't like 
really want to be a mother either, but I think that maybe, but my partner wants me to, and I don't know, like, can you tell me what that's, what, what the process is? And it's just like, so individual, but just mm. that idea of like, not every woman's meant to be a mother and motherhood isn't something that's just naturally, like, I'm sure you had the same experience. Like you, you, I know you did because we, you know, but it's like you have a baby. It's not natural. Nothing's natural about it. We don't have community anymore. Like it used to be like a, a tribe of people helping you. And now it's just this isolation of like, this screaming child and this and you're just alone with it and you're just like what? so um what was the process for you like how did you feel when you first found out you were pregnant versus like you told me once that you f- fell very much in love with Brennan over time over time yeah, yeah it wasn't like I was terrified my whole pregnancy I cried all the time I called my sister twice a week being like tell me again why they're good (laughs) 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 Um, and she didn't always you know her whole thing was just like you will feel a love that I can't describe it's indescribable until you feel it you won't I can't explain it to you and I'm like that's bullshit this is not helpful Um, then I had Brennan it was very that moment of like not TV but just like okay here we go like you held him in your arms and you're like whoa all right here we go here we go my friend like okay it's, it was so bizarre, and then I f- have fallen, I fell in love with him, and also, like, I'm, of course, I, I do have that undescribable love, right? Of course mm-hmm. I have it. But it, it's interesting, because I also was watching the whole process when he was a baby from, like, a slightly pulled-back perspective, and I'm mm. like, oh, pheromones are fascinating, Hor- attachment hormones, mm. psychology that our brains go through, like, I was, it is very much like, this is how we survived as a species, like my little ape brain, I was fully aware of that. Yeah. Wow. You know, I think it's really good that you say that. The because I think I think there's gonna be people that listen to this episode that go, Oh good, I'm not alone with those feelings. Mm-hmm. Um so I wanna ask you guys, what is something that people don't talk about in regards to motherhood that you would only know if you became a mother? Because for example, um I didn't know only until the last couple years about anything about birthing, for example. And then I found out some facts that I went, (laughs) why does no one talk about this at dinner? I know it's disgusting, maybe the idea that you might shit yourself while you're giving birth. But there's so many things everyone keeps hidden about Mm. motherhood, just in general conversation. I'm not asking for gory details, but are there things about motherhood that you're like, no one told me this and I wish someone had? I mean, I can't say nobody warned me in in one way because I could I I del- almost deliberately didn't read any books. I had read books before, mm-hmm. but while I was pregnant, I couldn't handle reading books because every time they read at this point, your baby is developing. Blah blah blah. I was like, my baby is damaged, and and uh, I've done something terrible, and it's going to turn out badly. It was fine. Uh, he was fine. Um, that nobody told me. I think it's almost impossible to describe to somebody what it's actually going to be like. I remember my brother-in-law saying, if you could really know how hard it's going to be, nobody would do it. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody would willingly wow. go into that if you could tell. And I think that the everything will be fine impulse that we all have, like, I'm not going to crash on the highway. I'm not going to get coronavirus. You know, like, it's like, it won't be like that. You just can't know, and it's good that you don't, um, because it is... It's so hard. The sleep deprivation, Mm -hmm. I don't think people's... All the stuff that is related to the body, um, we don't articulate uh, as much. And women have been pushed into this existence on this continent where, you know, you're so... so, 
uh, yoked to what your body does and what your body looks like and all those kinds of things. But at the same time, you aren't supposed to really talk about it because it's shameful or whatever. People have religious ideas about things. Um, but it was, I don't think I realized how often I would picture um, disaster. I mean, you know, I kind of do that anyway on my own. You know, like I have that, that melancholy kind of tendency that a lot of artists do. But I was just constantly picturing what if that truck careens off the the side of the road and and um and kills us both or when like chris and sebastian are leaving the house is that the last you just, i'm just like always kind of on that that um uh alert kind of thing and, and you never did that before um a little bit but not the same not to the same degree and i've i was watching a there's a thing on netflix right now about babies and they talk about they literally took M- mri scans mm-hmm. about people's brains and so it's not just mothers it can happen to dads too if they're the primary caregiver but mothers their amygdala basically opens up and never closes so you're just it's an actual observable change in your your brain and and you you are just always worrying about stuff and even now like it's it's less now but the distress like i um i remember lisa brooke talking about this uh i i couldn't watch the news i couldn't any movie at the time that had kids or babies being mistreated in any way I couldn't, I just couldn't watch it. Wow. Like I, I, I had already read The Road, couldn't reread it, couldn't go see oh, the movie. The, the oh, Road, yeah. You know, even the movie, what's the movie Shine, the one about the, the guy who's the, the pianist? Yeah. And when he's a kid, his dad abuses him, yeah. and like, I just, I, I, I couldn't, nobody tells you how vulnerable you are. You suddenly start understanding all these movies, like, couldn't watch, I for sure can't watch Sophie's Choice, you know, like, like anything like that. But even yeah. the, the tiniest things, like, I'm, you, I'm just much more in tune to, um, to that kind of suffering to the point where now I think I used to have some sympathy or like try to have the understanding for people who did horrible uh, things. things to kids can't anymore. Like it's like, yeah. it's just to kids at the very least. It's like, I don't understand how wrong their brain must be that they do that. Oh, mm. The whole, well, yeah. this, is, this is a comedy podcast, but like, <laughs> the whole, but the whole like pedophile, the whole sex mm. trafficking of children. Yeah. Yeah. I've read this article. You might want to cut this out cause it's not fun. But no, I don't worry. They, yesterday wait. about Pornhub and how they found a 15-year-old girl who'd been missing for two years and, and her captor had been putting her up and they upload it. So Pornhub has been complicit in child sex rings and they're not getting shut down. These men are not getting arrested. And then people Google like the number three or number six looked up thing is teenage sex. And it's just like, this is a problem of our society. Yeah. The models are all 13, 14, 15-year-olds. They're being sexualized. This obsession with youth, like it's it's really unhealthy. Yes. I can't talk, about, but no, that, and that kind of stuff, like it makes me want to really barf and just hold Brennan. Like whenever I read any articles about that kind of stuff, I just want to hold him and not let him go because yeah. I'm so scared that that might happen. And then I just feel so much for that the people that that's happening to. Mm-hmm. But then people, you know, like when people complain about those Amber Alerts, I'm just like. Can y'all just take your heads out of your asses for two seconds? Yeah. For two seconds and understand what that person might be going through. Yeah. And what the parents are going through. That's because that's unexplainable. People that lose their children. I don't, oh God. I don't, yeah. I don't think most people like, I remember walking around once he was out and I was looking around at like the, at the playground and thinking, so wait a minute, all these other people are also low key or high key in love also, you know, because you are just like in love and it, I think it's a testament to to our biology that, like, even if you're not, com- you know, inclined towards motherhood, 
the, your body and evolution mm-hmm. have so many like little rewards for following the biological imperative. Like your, you know, the, the amygdala, all the kind of stuff, like your hormones, all those things, like the hormones that come from breath, like all those little rewards from like touching and loving and holding and protecting and stuff like that. Like it's, it just suffuses you all the time, but you, you don't want to be like the lame parent. Like, I just love you. Although I'm full, full on that parent now. I'm just like, Hey, I just want you to know that I love you so much before you go to school. He's like, I know you tell me every day. Um, no, Sebastian, I, but you, you just do, you just really do. That makes me feel better. Cause sometimes I feel like I might be too selfish to ever be a good mom. Cause mm-hmm. I, I think I like the idea of having a kid in a very, uh, abstract way I'll go oh it'd be nice to have someone and then we have someone they kind of look like us and they're always around looks like me you know what I mean I know, yeah. and they're chubby and they're cute and we're yeah. having so much fun and uh but then I go oh but I I know all the worst parts of me I've become well acquainted mm. with them and I go, oh, maybe I wouldn't be good at this, but something tells me that maybe what you're saying, that, that biological something kind of helps a little extra. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it has to. I remember thinking when he started smiling, I was like, thank fucking God oh, that he started smiling because this was so hard. You got to have some kind of reward. So when they yeah. do smile, yeah. they, they smile as soon as they can, you know, like smiling, laughing comes later. And it's such a rush when they do. It's like you're lucky that you do this because I would smack you against a wall like for, you know. (laughs) And Brennan took forever to smile and and then he would only smile for Paul. (gasps) Someone who's keeping him alive? Me. Who does he smile at? Paul. He is a very funny man though. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I was just like, if you don't smile, I would. Like that idea and I always tell new moms, like friends of mine that have kids, I'm like, just so you know, they're they're adorable and cute because they're literally the devil. They're literally the devil. They do nothing but suck the life out of you. Literally, if you're literally. breastfeeding, uh, time-wise, sleep-wise, they're horrible, horrible fucking creatures. <laughs> Jesus. They're so cute. Um, and then there's this biological thing that's happening. That, like, this amygdala is fascinating. Um, and I still feel that. Brennan drives me crazy sometimes. And I'm just like, you're lucky. I love you because I don't like you. Right now. Yeah. Which also I think is okay. Because I, yeah. Yeah, I always had this fear that if you fight with someone... And then the relationship was over. Like that's that's my own <laughs> burden to, oh, to go through. Oh, it's mine too. I'm, I'm just, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah you're right. Because uh, I never really heard my parents fight. So I was like, well, if you fight with your partner, then it's a bad relationship. Um, oh, I'm then, I'm so opposite. I, I feel like opposite. I'm around all these people, <laughs> and they're like, like, I'm around you guys, and I'm like, where are you guys going? It's not over yet. I know you. You <laughs> like the, the fight. I don't like it. It's just a compulsion. <laughs> I wish I could fight more but I'm the same way I'm like well so clearly we have to break up now because you know we've had a disagreement about yeah, the yeah. dishes right and obviously you don't love me or something's wrong yes exactly I'm wrong you're wrong this is all wrong I, it's funny though you know what I have actually a better relationship with Sebastian a more open relationship with him than I have with anybody else about because mm-hmm. I always feel like mm-hmm. shame about my anger but something about like the fact that I am the mom you know like hey Sebastian I have to tell you that made me really mad I'm sorry that I yelled at you but it did make yeah. me you know like I'm way more healthy in how I he knows me in a way better than anybody because I'm like I don't feel the weird, like, I can't say anything to him kind of thing, like, because I'm like, no, I have to tell him about this, let's talk about it, how is he, but like, uh, I think my past therapist would be really proud. Yeah. That uh, obsession to, like, create a good 
human. Oh, to yeah. send a good human out in the world, and yeah. especially because we're both raising sons. Yes. That idea of like consent was a conversation that I started having with him as soon as he could talk. Yeah. Like this kind of thing of like, I gotta send a feminist out that door. I gotta send a good someone who's gonna be a good partner. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Who like takes care of himself and knows how to talk and how to fight and know that you can have arguments and then you talk through it and. So ownership. this inspires me for, in a very short, succinct way. I would like each of you, because I have more things I want to ask, uh, I would like each of you to say, what is the way you think as a mom you've, you've done good with your kid? Like the thing you think you've, uh, you know, like you're saying, uh, you're helping raise a little feminist. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's the thing you think you did well? And what's the thing you're worried, oh God, this is the baggage I may have laid. Oh, we all lay baggage for oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think we're pretty, Chris and I are pretty happy that there's so little shame in oh, in Sebastian's great. life. A, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this. We are not religious. We're atheists. And all the stupid levels of shame, to me, in my opinion, that come with uh, different religions about body and different genders and stuff like that, that just isn't there. Um, we're pretty, I think, not to plug improvisers, but I think big improvisers, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of like, sure, man. You know, like, you want to try this? There's a lot of patience, like, sure, we'll try your offer. You know, like, yeah, let's do it this way kind of thing. So I think there's that. Sometimes I worry we've made him too loved or too uh, coddled. Not Maybe emotionally, like, is he going to be okay? With, you know, like we do a lot, of, you know, like there's like fun play and teasing and stuff like that. But I wonder... Uh, what he what I, what he will do when we die. This is again like the disaster mm. thinking, but it's like we haven't given him any siblings, so when we're old, like our parents are getting what the what have I done? You know, like and also like what have I yes. done? Yoking him. I we, I wrote a sketch about this. But it was like what have I done? Why did I bring him into this world and yoke him to a body that is going to live in the planet that we are currently fucking? That's what I'm worried about. What well, that's also interesting. You guys both have only children. Yeah, which. Uh, does that have a little bit to do with career choice as you are both performers and so... Yeah, economics. It, yeah. Um, I am also an only child. There's lots of them now. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's more common. But, yeah. you know, it can turn out okay. Yes. I've yes. got only children that are fine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> we better have another baby. Oh, God. <laughs> Christy, what is it that you think you're doing uh, oh, great with and what are you worried you will leave with Brennan mm, I don't know I'm not yeah I, I, I know I've broken him in many ways and that won't come out until he's in his 20s but we all do that's what parents do I think we just break each other in, in weird delightful ways we have some kind of self care project in your life um, I think I feel like we're, we're very Paul and I are both very good at uh, expressing love making sure he knows he's loved uh, and for me that ownership of uh, when you uh of fighting, like that ownership of like acknowledging and owning when you have misplaced your own inner anger on towards someone else. On towards mm. is that a word? Probably yes, not, it but is, it yeah. is today. Uh, that's what I I don't know. And fun and like fun because my big fear is uh, because I have depression. I'm terrified that I've passed that on to him. Um, Paul has anxiety. We're terrified. He's got, you know, and you just kind of go, I don't want him to suffer the way I suffered. So those tools, like how do I have, give him those tools to like not have the struggles that I had? Yeah. He will have the struggles. This is what I'm really worried about. But I don't know. But did I do a good job? I don't know. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Can I ask you about this while we're on air? Because I have this same, you know, like 
I've had my own stuff. My family has a like history of men- my dad's family particularly has like a documented history of, of mental illness and stuff like that. And sometimes I take a little bit further and I think like, how horrifying is it? You could do all this great stuff, like mm-hmm. do, uh, know their love. They're good. You know, they're like, you know, good communication, all this stuff. You could shepherd them. They like become adults. They're out in the world. And then when they're 23, he could suddenly get, mm-hmm. um, uh, schizophrenia. schizophrenia. Uh, yeah. yeah. That, that like, that's always kind of sitting there. Right. Like yeah. it, in my mind anyway, it's, it's because like that kind of stuff, things that you can't. Mm-hmm. control because like we try to do that same thing of like you know that he knows he's loved and he knows it and he knows how to say it and he knows he's loved for who he is great but what about all those other things that like you know what if we've planted a little time bomb in his head with oh our own God. dna it's just like will i fuck him up yeah 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 and the dna they come out real they come out the people yeah like that was the other amazing thing that's super weird is that when the oh. baby comes out yeah and you look at them <clears throat> like brennan <clears throat> literally looked around he didn't cry for a really long time and then he didn't stop crying but he didn't cry oh. and he just was looking around and i was the babies were crying when they come out but he didn't look look and it was literally that look of <sighs> this again <laughs> this again yeah, like so old, what, he his like past life, he got kind of guy, and he's just like yeah. so. And he just has this really old soul energy, and then he just has his own personality. Like he is his own human being that came with the package. That's the mystery of life to me. Of mm-hmm. like, what is like, what is out there? What is the universe? Mm-hmm. But then when these little things come out of your body, and you're like, oh shit, you come fully Loaded. with something. Yeah. I, I want to ask uh, one more question. Uh, maybe it's too personal, but I feel like we've gone so personal in this sure. that why not? Um, how does, and this is one of the reasons I'd be scared of having a child, how does having a child affect your romantic relationship? <laughs> like a fucking bomb. Um, you can never... Uh, I mean... You can never know in a way. It's it's quite... I remember Chris expressing that it was quite astounding. He's like, I've never been around a pregnant body before. Like, it's a huge change in your body. And then you may... You're, you're, your vulva and your vagina might be in okay shape after you have a baby. They might not be. They You can have... Um, depending on what happens. Like, I had a cesarean... Uh, some people, you know, it's like the baby's like an explosion coming out. Uh, oh my God. You, you had a... I had an exploding baby. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ripped his way out of my Oh my God. This is the scary thing no, I'm talking I'm like, about. It's stitched up. Yeah. Called Frankenvag. It's fine. It's, it, it's all good. It, Did it the nerves regrow? Well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. Oh, like <laughs> weird ass reaction. I mean, there's that, but also like the, the sleeplessness and the, um, uh, are we, you know, the division of labor. I want to get back to what you said, like what you said earlier about like the isolation, honestly, like the way we have our architecture mm-hmm. is, is fucks families mm-hmm. if we were literally in a well, like it takes a village to live for you if we were in a village that had like you know my dirt floor just goes right out to here to your yes. dirt floor yes. the baby could run over there literally just physically run over there and you know if he tumbles that's fine it's certain kind of thing but we have locked doors stairs streets the barriers between mm-hmm. you and other people who might 
be able to help you are big. Plus, the other people who really know what you are going through are the other people with little babies, and they can't help you because like, they're doing their own thing. Did you see that documentary, Babies? Yes, yes, yeah. we watched it repeatedly. And they had like four different babies growing up on different continents. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the baby that looked like it was having the most stress-free mm-hmm. upbringing was, I believe it was in, in Africa. The Namibian baby, yeah. Running. yeah. She was running before the other ones were even standing. Yeah, and yeah. everyone was just kind of hanging out, and everyone seemed really relaxed relaxed and it seemed very communal and mm-hmm. it's not all on you yeah yeah and then when they showed places in the western world or places that um had a high density population it just looks so chaotic and oh, stressful yeah, yeah. we're and, lucky on this street because we have like yeah. this little laneway and i remember when brandon was a baby and paul was on a tv show at the time and he wouldn't stop screaming wouldn't stop screaming like and uh i just had that thing of like oh i know why I know why people shake their baby now. Yeah. I know why this happens. Yeah. I know. And I called my neighbor and she came right over. She's like, I'm here. And she, Adrian was amazing. Like she would to all, she, we call her the baby whisperer. She would just come and she just took him into the bathroom, turned the fan on, sang some French song. I went upstairs and cried for 30 minutes. Yeah. Came back down. And just to bring it around to your question, it's hard to feel romantic or sexy when that's happening to your life, especially if it's set up where like the only other person who comes in and out of your life regularly is your partner mm-hmm. and they may or may not be able to help you with all the stuff. And you may be like, it's very easy when it's just two people and a little baby that they're new at to blame the other person. It's like, I feel like I'm doing 90% mm-hmm. of the work. And like the news is actually both people are probably doing 90% of the work. There's just so much more to do and you're all, you're both sleep deprived. It's, it's very hard and if you have, it's like, it's like traveling. It's like dating somebody and then going on a, tra- on a, on a, like a backpacking trip. The moment you get into that other airport, it's like, oh, this is the this flaw is- in our relationship <laughs> and this is what this exposes. And like, if you don't communicate well, the lack of sleep and all those difficulties will, will, de- will show you if you're going to become a team together or apart. I've, it's hard. I've Sorry. heard like statistically or something, um, that, that it is the hardest part of a marriage is the first two years of having a child mm-hmm. together because mm-hmm. it just, it's so much external, like you're saying, body stuff, tired, everything. So that if you don't have a relationship that's already uh, strong in its foundation, mm-hmm. the whole thing can crumble. Like it makes or breaks you. Do you guys agree with that? I think for me, my experience is that it was interesting that Brennan has. In, in times of real struggle in, in our relationship, Brennan was the, sometimes you fight for him. There were times in my marriage that I wasn't fighting for the marriage, I was fighting for Brennan. You know what I mean? For Ooh. his, wow. not that people don't, like people are fine having divorced parents, I'm not putting any judgment on that, I totally understand it. From my situation and where we were, I just spent, uh, there, were, uh, there were months and months where it was just like, I, I'm doing this for him. Mm-hmm. And, to, and to see if we can and so I, and I think I think Paul was the same was in the same place that if we didn't have Brennan sometimes I wonder like what would have happened because it just gives you another reason to really fucking work almost all my married like, friends who have kids have told me some variation of that comment the scales, where right? they go I don't yeah. think for the emotional turmoil we've gone through I don't know if we'd be together I've been told that by friends and I always found that really shocking but they said no I'm still happy I'm in yeah. it yeah. Well, you get to a, such a better, deeper level of oh, relationship and yeah. understanding because there's just so many warped ideas of what relationships are, yeah. what marriage is, and not, that's a whole other conversation. But all that's like so much of that's not true. But then you just get to the yeah, 
bare bones of it. Yeah, I mean, you go from, you know, in the beginning of a relationship, it's fun, you, you're lovers, and then you switch, you're like, oh, we're together, and then suddenly you're like people in a, in a war zone. <laughs> you're in a war zone? <laughs> oh, God. So, you know, like, so you learn very quickly about the other person in the same way that you would, in a way, you know, there's that, that the end of the honeymoon phase around two to four years where it's like, oh, all the all the the window dressing has dropped, and I really see you, mm. and um, mm. so it's it's I I absolutely agree a hundred percent. Like there are times where I was like, okay, I want to keep Sebastian happy, so he is happiest when he has the two of us mm-hmm. happy. So it's not just like it doesn't just involve staying for whatever. It's like yeah, it's, I have to really yeah. stay. You know, like I have to really <clears throat> think like how can I be happy with this person, and then it just it just it keeps that commitment and there's huge dividends for staying. Like mm-hmm. I'm absolutely so happy that we did that, you know, yeah. like, you know, because like relationships are tough on their own. Um, but hundred percent, I'm saying that so often this morning, but yeah, absolutely. A, a good organizing principle. Hundo P. Hundo P. Hundo P. <laughs> Hundo I did for him and I'm so happy that I did. Oh my God. But it also really helped that like, um, that Chris again, just touting improvisers as parents, but like Chris is hilarious and I find him hilarious. And even when we were like, where I'm like, I don't even know if I want to see you today, but you're making me laugh because we can both laugh and smile about this little kid that we both love so much. So it, it just keeps you in the game in a way that, you know, if you threw in the towel, uh, you wouldn't have experienced. And God, I'm so happy. And I have to say, like, you know, this is, for, but I think of you guys as a very happy family. And, I, and I'm pretty aware, you know, like I've been aware of like what you're talking about, about, you know, like not wanting to be a mom or, you know, the, yeah. those kinds yeah, of feelings. Yeah. But I also think of you guys as such conscious parents because you, yes, you know, yes. like that you yeah. consciously... <laughs> Yeah, no. Not just like we're I'm squeezing serious. them out and seeing whatever, and like not paying any attention to how you are as people. Like I think of the two of you both as yeah. like really people who are really sincerely putting the effort yes. in to do the work on yourselves. I've and... come over here, and I've sometimes seen you be so conscious and caring about relaying a message to Brendan if he makes a mistake or something. That I'll just sit there on the couch and go, "Oh, my parenting instincts are bad compared to this." Because I, 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 I go, "Wow, my parents did not." take the time to be emotionally present with an issue mm-hmm. this way. I've mm-hmm. noticed the exact same thing. Well, I think it's yeah. really mar- Well, I think too a lot of it is this thing of like, I got to take down the patriarchy from the inside. I got to send a little soldier out yeah. in a way. Of, but it, no, joking aside, but it's kind of true. The society is shifting and I think men have had it really hard because they have had this thing where they've been told not to be emotional. They've been told that um, uh, the feminine is bad, that all this stuff, you know, and I think it's just like, and he's going to go out in that world, and uh, and just to have the strength of 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 his own emotion. I think part of it is protecting him from if those depression demons do catch up to him, to give those tools of emotional mm-hmm. awareness and emotional knowledge. Um, I think that helps in going. Oh, okay, wait, this is what's happening to me. Mm-hmm. I can get help, or I don't know. I'm I don't know. What I'm I want to ask one last thing because we're we're going long, but it's such a good conversation. Oh God, Sometimes it's going know, right? so good, and right now I feel like it's just like there's a million things I want to ask. But I want to distill it down to one idea. Okay. Um, what are the struggles that you face um, dealing with the idea of identity? Because mm. you know how our society likes to go, oh, you're a mom now. Mm-hmm. Or, or they take away your right in a way to feeling sexualized even because you're a mom now. Like I've seen comments where people don't want a mom to dress a certain way because she's a mother now. Or 
or just how that affects career. How do you guys find that uh, society puts a label with the idea of mom? Have you struggled with that? Is, is Do you feel like it gets, your identity gets lost in motherhood at all? Well, I don't know that the acting profession really confirms a woman's identity to start with. So let's just start <laughs> yeah. there. It's not Fair like enough. we're yeah. being given the full spectrum and they you know, stop giving you all the other juicy roles. I... Um, Again, I think that I have a bit of a, a bit of a fortunate thing, and maybe you've had this too, where like the, maybe specifically the the Toronto improv scene, like, you know, if you, even if you're getting on stage, you're doing stuff, like you, you do have these outlets, whether it's for, you know, seven people at the comedy bar or you're, you know, like getting a, getting a role that you have more of a creative outlet there to a degree. You have a bit of, um, in improv, it's like, you know, well, I know like, you know, this Saturday night I'll be able to be whatever character I want because I'm an improviser and I have those skills. I will say though, that after I had Sebastian, I suddenly got like for several years cast as angry mom, exasperated mother, um, angry pregnant woman, uh, oh, angry God. mom. Like it was, it was weird. And like, I think this little line here between my, there's a line she's showing uh, my little thinky, <laughs> my little resting bitch face. Like it paid the bills. It was weird. And I had like, you know, I think if like, if you had like me and good Hugh, you wouldn't say good. Hugh's going to get cast as the Zen yoga instructor and Aurora's going to get cast as the angry person. Not true at all. We, t- that's totally what got it. And I don't know if I just was that. So that's what I was giving out, but there's a lot of, whether you're a mom or not in real life, you're cast as a mom so much. That's what is available to begin with. If you're yes. over 23, you're Yeah, mom. yeah. Yes, it, it has started happening in the last few years. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, uh... You're the right age. When I moved to Toronto, like... that was it. I was always young mom, young mom, yeah. young mom. And then, I, like, way before I was a mom. And then it was... It's so funny because I was in Toronto for almost 10 years before I actually had a child. And I'm just... It's like the, the, yeah. the, the, like the thing of, like, and now who plays... The mothers of 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 ten year olds, thirty year olds. You know what I mean? It's I I played. Right? I where... I was in a Canadian Tire commercial where they brought me in for the callback to be the wife and mother, and the the husband in the commercial was in his late forties, early fifties, mm-hmm. and I showed up for the callback, and no joke, my audition paper. Everyone else in the room is about forty three all the other women, my paper said younger wife option. And I booked it. And my husband was like, it, he felt weird about it. I felt weird about it. It was, it was so weird. And I thought this world is yeah. backwards. Even in this theater, like, weird. you know, you'll start auditioning, you'll be doing plays really young and the, the men that pl- are playing your fathers. And then once you hit 30, the men that were playing your fathers seven years ago, eight years ago are now your husbands. So women in this industry are screwed. We're screwed. I don't know how you fix it. Hopefully more women get in there. Like your show is amazing for representation mm-hmm. for women in their, in their forties. In a way, but you know who we hire mostly is dudes. Well, yeah, because you don't need to. Because if if there's a if there's a, I've thought about this a lot. Like we've had Bates on, yeah, many times, yeah, and we have never had you on. And I'm I really have, sorry. I, I really sorry. An audition. I'm so that sorry. Fucking, we were in I'm... Second City together, Lindsay. Listen, let's talk about this. <laughs> oh, but you know what? No, and like, true. And let's say, like, if you want to get technical about like the industry, my mom's always like, "How come you're not like you should get on that? But you should get, mom. I love my mom. And you people should get love on to this. say that. that." And I'm like, 
bless them. Yeah, I would love to do it. The fact is, though, they don't need another white woman in her yes, 40s. I, like, that's, that's just, and that's, exactly I'm not is. offended by that. I'm not insulted. I don't feel like I have a right, you know what I mean? Like that entitlement thing. I'm like, no, it's, it's, it's stacked. It's stacked with white yes, women. Yes, this is 40s. what I feel when I've gone so out. Great. I've auditioned for Baroness a few times and I go, for so, young people. For remember, young like, we had people. you do like, you know, like the person just out of school, not the mom. Oh, part. yeah, no, yeah. I was going, oh, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, it's so much better than uh, the, the new mom thing. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's very weird. Actually, weird thing for me is the first few years I was in Toronto, only playing high schoolers, like sketch comedy TV yeah. shows for Disney and YTV, yeah. only playing high schoolers, uh -huh. and then they immediately made me young mom. I've never been a girl in her 20s, ever. I've never had, like like ingenue romantic whatever nothing they skipped it completely and yeah. now i'm like okay google play a lullaby it's like innocent like you're beautiful and innocent looking oh, a bit like stop. inside you're nothing but dirt but <laughs> yeah <laughs> they don't know that that's why yeah. right because you look like a young fresh teen and then they're like oh we don't there's something about your look that they they don't want to sexualize, or I don't know what it is. Who mm -hmm. knows? Who knows what it is? I really appreciate all of that. You're welcome. Even the dirt you look part. like a teen right now. I just kind of want to lean over and like touch the skin right under your eyes right now. Like, the guys, this is a cosmetic dermatologist in Yorkville. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Really? What are you? I'm not joking. What are you? Doing? An ounce of prevention. That's what I was told. What are you, what are you doing? Oh, we don't. Well, it's them. mostly sunscreen, but mm. um, I go to this lady who. Um, She's always on the Marilyn Dennis show. Oh. This, this lady. I, I know. This is crazy. A few years ago, I was like, okay, I'll go to a dermatologist and see. And, and yeah. And she's just like, here's what you need to do. And I was stupid. I paid a bunch of money for like a, a system thing. And I did notice a difference. It works. I'm usually broke, so I can't afford to do it. Huh. But I've been really trying mm. to See what, what happens. See, I don't think you should cut this from this podcast because every conversation, there's so many conversations with, with, especially actors, like it devolves, to, not devolves, but it ends up this way. Like, so what are you doing? You know, like, like this kind of stuff, like it's such a, it's such a thing. Like I have a regime. I don't do it, but uh, I have I'm the creams at home. I'm bad about it too. I have the, I have a regime, but I'm bad about it. Yeah. I, I'm not great. I got a whole system and then I, I'll watch like uh, Vogue or YouTube videos where they'll be uh, much more successful actresses using like jade rollers on their mm -hmm. faces and talking about their skincare regime. I don't know if this is self-care or self-hate. Not sure yet. It's both. You're so it's right. Both. Because yeah. listen, the beauty industry is run by men. Yeah. And so everything you read on magazines, doesn't matter if the magazine is edited by a woman, she answers to a man. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of fighting the natural aging process, like I was thinking the other day on the, on the, on the subway, men don't dye their hair. Old men, like older men don't dye their hair. It looks weird when you see a man who's dyed his hair. It's distinguished it's when they have a little grin. Mm. Yeah. But 90% but of women dye their hair. Mm -hmm. I dye my hair. My hair's dyed. I, but more and more... I'm seeing women that are like naturally not in our industry so much because I've talked to my agent. I'm like, I'm just going to go gray because I'm already had auditions that are for middle-aged women, 45 to 70. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm erased, right? I'm gone. I'm gone in the TV oh my world. God. I no longer exist. So I might as well just get gray hair and be super hot grandma. When right? I like, yeah, when I have, uh, like on our trailers, uh, for Baroness, we have, you know, you, everybody has like their names and stuff, but we don't put our names on just in case like, you know, somebody in the public gets weird about it, that kind of thing. 
So right. we have code names on our thing. And That's mine fine. is middle-aged woman number two because that, I couldn't think of anything more innocuous that people would ignore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And yeah. it works. Oh, nobody's man. you know coming to uh, yeah nobody's like broken in to my trailer that, so far. That's like a whole separate podcast yeah. though about women yeah. and aging in the industry. It's and sometimes I'm like, one. fuck it, you know, like I you know I've got this journey of being a human lined up. You know, don't get in the way of me being old. You know, like uh, but also like I smoke weed every day now, so it's like I'm sure that that is like doing something to my it's skin. You relaxed. I it's think, making me really. Enjoy I think it's great. Food. It's yeah. it's helping with you not furrowing your brow because you're calm yeah yeah, yeah. We guys all, we all look great this look is great. everyone on this couch looks great uh <laughs> guys thank you so much for being on the show i could talk forever because this is just like you guys are so interesting and fascinating with this topic uh but we are going very long and, so thank yeah, you so much for being on the show My pleasure. uh thanks no problem bye bye, bye. <laughs>Hey everybody. Most of us right now are stuck at home, socially isolating ourselves for the greater good of humanity, which is awesome, by the way. Good on you for doing that. But we're human beings. We want to connect with other people. And thankfully, technology has brought about dating apps. And there's a new dating app that you can try that I recommend you try. It's called Hi, spelled H-I-I-I. And Hi Dating App does things a little bit differently. It has quizzes and games that you can take with the person you're talking to. Yeah. So instead of just having to contrive a conversation and feel the stress of having to come up with something to say to a complete stranger... You can enjoy these built-in icebreakers. It's like playing cards against humanity with another person or showing off your sense of humor while playing a board game. Takes a bit of the pressure off. Hi Dating App actually reached out to me and they asked me to make one of the quizzes on the app, which was pretty cool. And I could make a quiz about absolutely anything. So... I'm insane, so my quiz is called, What Type of Emotional Terrorist Are You? I have a sick sense of humor, and so I hope two people are getting to know each other by taking that ridiculous quiz. If you want to take my quiz, go to high.com slash truthbetold. And please, download High Dating App from the App Store. It's springtime, guys, and we may be cooped up inside, but pretty soon we're going to be back to our regular life and uh, we're going to want to meet all the hotties we start talking to on High Dating App. So start building that sexual tension right now with someone you think is cute on High Dating App. Okay, bye-bye. I am sitting with Shohana Sharman.
Hello. Hi, how's it going? Uh, good. You are a comedian, a, mm-hmm. an amazing sketch comedian, and uh, a person I've just met. Yeah, yeah. We met just a couple nights ago, and it's been great. It's just been really good. <laughs> real short, you but would, real you sweet You would describe so far. Our, our two minutes of conversation <laughs> as great. I would say it was at least four minutes, but yes, it's okay, been wonderful. Okay, you're right. It's been great. Good to know you're counting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you told a story on stage the other night and I knew I had to get you on the podcast because it really affected me Mm. and it's a story about your relationship with your mother yes uh so I have a thing about remembering dates and any story about my mother I feel like should naturally start with my birthday Uh, so I was born on October 30th 1989 in Bangladesh it's a small country on the southern tip of India and it's a very Muslim country so I was raised by a fairly conservative Muslim mother. Um, she she was wonderful, uh, but we did butt heads from time to time, uh, especially when I was... So when I was young, around six years old, um, my parents decided to get very serious about my education. They decided that, you know, if you want to raise a lawyer or an engineer, you have to start early. You don't want to raise some kind of a comedian or something. So... <laughs> So they decided to send me to the best girls' school in Bangladesh, which at the time was a school called Holy Cross Girls Academy. Now oh. that, yeah, Holy Cross, as in Jesus, as in Catholic <laughs> school. Uh, and my mom was super not happy about that. Like, she was okay, but she just kind of worried about me hanging out with too many Catholic girls and becoming too Catholic. Like, I had friends named Victoria and Karen and Cindy, and she worried about that <laughs> right sure. of like oh who are you hanging out with at school um so they i sound, learned, they sound like badass yeah like karen especially Woo, what a troublemaker um she was <laughs> she was six um so i learned very quickly to separate my home self and my school self because i saw how it affected my mother so uh you know at school i would sit at lunch with all these girls and you know bite share lunch and like bite into a pork roll even though it was haram. I know. It, a pork roll? It's so good. It was so tasty. It was covered in dough. I was like, it shouldn't count if it's covered in dough. So <laughs> if you I, can't see it. Yeah. It's, I can't see it. I can't smell it. It's going directly and it's all going to photosynthesize it the same way because I'm a plant. <laughs> uh, and then, but at home, I would come home from school and my religion teacher, my Quran teacher, would be waiting for me in the living room and then we would spend an hour practicing Arabic like just trying to undo the whole day yeah just get all that pork right out of me so it I learned very quickly that there were kind of two versions of myself that existed um now a couple years after this uh this is in 2003 when I was 13 years old uh I was living in Ethiopia with my family at the time when my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and that diagnosis kind of split our family in four directions because my dad he was moving to uh, Tazakistan at the time for work. In fact, it wasn't really. It was kind of unsure where he was going, but he was like, "I think I'm going to Tazakistan, and we don't know what the medical facilities or the schooling would be like there." Um, so he decided to send my mom uh, for her treatment to Germany, and then sending my my brother was 17 at the time so he decided to come to Canada for university and then my dad looked at me and he was like I don't know what to do with you so we're just going to send you to boarding school in Windsor Connecticut Windsor Connecticut (laughs) yeah 
not the Windsor, Ontario, not the Great no. Pizza Windsor. The, okay. The Windsor, Connecticut, the, for boarding school. Yeah, super weird choice. Okay. It, you know what? It uh, if you've ever seen the show Gilmore Girls, you have seen my high school experience. Oh really? Not kidding. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was based. On, it's so that show gets a lot of things right. Um. But yeah, so I got sent to boarding school, and the night before my flight to boarding school, I remember my mom came into my room, and she leaned in really close to my face, and she whispered, never sleep in the same bed as another girl. And I was like, this is your advice the night before I'm leaving? And she was like, yeah, you're dumb, and they'll trick you, so just be really careful. She didn't call you dumb. Yeah, she did. (laughs) (laughs) She did. My mama did. Oh, Um, boy. She was like, they'll trick you, so, you know, just don't do it. Bad things happen when girls in America sleep in the same bed together. And I was like, that's your tip? Okay, fine. So the next morning, I woke up and I got on my flight and flew to, you know, the Loomis Chafee School in Windsor, Connecticut. And my experience of boarding school, like, from the moment I landed, I was like, oh, this is heaven. It was my first taste of freedom, because up until then, I had been my mom's little angel uh, that she felt she had to protect, and at boarding school, I was living with all of my best friends. Uh, On Saturday nights, the faculty would invite us over to have nachos and watch Law & Order SVU. Like, it was just, like, a cool time. It was great. That does actually sound cool. It was pretty fun. It was great. Uh, Those nachos were delicious. Um, And then at boarding school is also where I kind of learned a lot of things that I wasn't exposed to in Bangladesh or in with my family. So I learned that gay people exist. And at boarding school is also where I learned that like, I maybe sort of really like sleeping next to American girls. Um, so, so this is the time that you realized you were. Yeah. I realized I was queer in boarding school. I mean, I think I obviously realized obviously, it's a weird word, yes. but it was like the first time that I was like, Oh, this makes sense. This feeling is, is right. Do you think your mom knew that deep down? And that's why she said that. That seems like I'm, a very specific thing to say to someone. Yeah, I've always wondered that. I genuinely think she just thought I was dumb and would get tricked into it. I really think that's what it was. I don't know oh, for sure, okay. but that's that's my theory. Um, so yeah, boarding school was great. I had a great time. And then uh, in June of 2007... Uh, I graduated high school and just like that boarding school was over and I went from the peak of freedom to moving back in with my mom uh, who had finished treatment in Germany and was now living in Canada. So I moved from uh, boarding school back into her apartment in Toronto and that was a struggle. Uh, We, again, the... The Shohana that left at 13 is not the Shohana that came back at 17, and she couldn't really wrap her head around that. Um, We fought a lot about the littlest things, about some big things, too. Like, she wanted me to be home by 6 p.m. every night. She wanted me to learn how to cook Bengali food or do laundry or clean, and I just was not having any of that. I was like, nope. And also, I had to go back in the closet, which was really... Not a great time. Were you out while in in school? In boarding school, I was. Yeah. Wow. Because I had no family around. I had no fear. I was like, this is the best And time. you felt, like, accepted and you could... Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah, I had really, really supportive friends who just were completely okay with it. Um, and then I moved here and all of that was gone. Like, all of that support was gone. And wow. I, I had no... Because I moved here with 
nothing to do really I wasn't going to school I didn't have any friends I didn't have any hobbies I was just kind of trapped at home under my mom's watch yeah so it was really tough and again we fought about the big things but we also fought about little things like she one of the biggest fights we had was about CP24 because she was obsessed with watching CP24 like she (laughs) yeah it's everyone's favorite right CP24 is an assault on the senses yes there's so much going on anyone not from Toronto listening to this CP24 is like a news station that has like the stock market and headlines scrolling down the bottom the weather on the right the traffic report ads all in one image all in one image it's an assault to the to uh the census for sure um so she would wake up every morning at 6 a.m turn on her kettle and turn on cp24 and that was her favorite thing and i could not take it the jingles about buying or selling your gold i just i was <laughs> losing it i was like i cannot have this and we fought so much like we fought over the remote and we fought for three weeks until my dad finally he was in thailand at the time working he was like okay, you know what, I'm just going to fix this. I'm going to buy a second TV for your mom. So your mom will get a small TV in her bedroom that she can watch, and you can have a big TV in the living room. So I was like, great, peace. Um, Fast forward to November of 2007. It's uh, Specifically, the date is November 18, 2007. I have a weird thing about remembering dates. I think You're I mentioned very good that at remembering dates. It's really... I have a feeling you don't forget anyone's birthday. Oh, all of my exes. I remember their birthdays. <laughs> every year and I hate it um yeah I never forget dates so November 18 2007 it's a Sunday it's uh you know I always say like it was the Lord's Day like the Catholic schools and uh Catholic school girls taught me um and it I was in bed in the afternoon just kind of like about to fall asleep when I heard a knock on my door and I look and it's my mom and she's standing against the door frame and she looks kind of puzzled like she looks a little bit concerned and I just look at her I was like what's going on what's up and she doesn't answer right away and I like at this point we're, we're obviously speaking in Bengali I'm like what is it what's going on and she goes I mean which means I don't understand what don't you understand like what is happening and she sighs really heavily and there's a long pause and then she asks Shanta Klauske which means who is Santa Claus and I just stare at her and I realize that I this is why I have never fit in it's like this is the gap that I have with the rest of the world because as I discovered November 18 2007 was the day of the annual Santa Claus parade in Toronto (laughs) right and my mom had woken up and turned on CP24 that morning to see something that she could not understand she had no idea who this man was on her TV screen wearing like ridiculous red clothes and a beard and he kept yelling ho 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 instead of giving her breaking news like she was just like I don't get it she told me that she looked up in her pocket dictionary like what ho 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 means and she couldn't find it oh my god you know what you can't blame her though because I mean the concept of Santa is normalized if you grow up with Santa but if I'm imagining I'm an alien from outer space and someone explains Santa it would seem so bizarre it was nuts and we like at this point I'm trying to explain to her I'm like oh he's a he's a guy he's a Christmas man he brings gifts <laughs> he's a Christmas man. 
grips for kids and she's like none of what you're saying makes any sense right now you sound ridiculous she and then we kept talking and as we kept talking i was like i don't know much about santa either like she asked me like why is this his job to deliver presents instead of jesus and i was like that's a great question, Mom. Why is You're... he the judge of childhood m- m- moral yeah. Like, compass? Yeah, no one knows. What has he done in his childhood that he gets to have this position? Yeah, this no is... one knows. It's time Santa gets knocked off his high horse. Yeah, seriously. This is this is what I'm all about. Sorry, um, continue. <laughs> no, I, you just really, you kind of blew my mind with this Santa stuff. Yeah. Um, she blew my mind with the Santa stuff because I was like, I don't know much about Santa. And as we keep having this conversation, I also realize like, oh, this is why we fight so much because there's this gap. There's this gap that's been growing ever since I left home and, you know, she kind of went her path and I kind of went her my path and now we don't communicate. Like, we don't know how to communicate because we're very different people now. Um, so it was, it was... It was funny, but it was also a really sad moment where I was like, oh, this is why my mom's uncool and this is why we don't really get along. And I kind of found myself wondering, like, will we ever find a way to communicate again? It was... That's heavy. Yeah, it got it got real heavy, but it was okay. So as we kept talking about Santa Claus, I just got to a point where I was like, you know what? It's fine. I will take you to the mall and you can ask Santa all these questions in person. Oh my god, that poor actor. I know, that poor (laughs) underpaid actor. Uh, I was like, you know what, it'll be okay. The mall Santas will answer all of your questions, and that'll be it. So, over the next, that was in 2007, so over the next 10 years, my mom and I kind of settle into our lives here in Toronto. You know, I start going to school and making friends, and, you know, I start liking it a lot more here. And my mom also um, started volunteering at a daycare and taking ESL classes. Like, we both just kind of found our people. Um, and then I hated the winters here at first, but slowly they kind of grew on me. And one winter, I actually asked my mom, I was like, hey, it would be really nice if we got, like, a Christmas tree for our living room and she instantly was like no way I'll cook you a turkey dinner for Christmas but there's no way I'm getting you the tree of the infidels that's actually what she called it and I was like that is so dramatic and she would not budge on it like we fought about it again this was one of our long fights where I was like it doesn't have to mean anything I can get a small plastic tree from Dollarama nope okay what if I get it and I don't even put it in the living room what if it's in my bedroom no the tree of the infidels is not entering my home like we fought for so long and at the end I was finally like you know what I it's fine this is your home you get to have the rules like someday when I'm living alone I'm gonna have it my way and I'll get a Christmas tree from my house and you'll watch and that's how we left it so I have a thing for remembering dates, as I mentioned earlier, and uh, we are sitting in March 2020 right now, and exactly three years ago, on March 4, 2017, I picked up our house phone and I dialed 911 because at some point during that afternoon, my mother had slipped into a coma. She was battling lung cancer at the time, and it was stage four. She wasn't doing well. She wasn't eating. She wasn't sleeping. She was tired all the time. So when she didn't get out of bed that morning, we just assumed she was sleeping. None of us realized it was anything more than that. Uh, Over the next week, I watched my mom sleep 
in her hospital bed. I sat next to her, I held her hand, and I mumbled stupid prayers that I did not believe in, and I told her I love you over and over and over again, words that I could never say to her when she was awake. And I just, I just watched. I just watched as she became less and less of herself and more and more like a child. Um, by the end of that week, I was feeding her. I was changing her diapers. I was cleaning her body. All of it. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. And on March 11, 2017, she passed away in her sleep. And I, I love her. I miss her so much. I think about her constantly. I wear her wedding ring on my finger. I have her name tattooed behind my ear. I keep this grocery note she once wrote in my wallet at all times. It, I mean, I literally and figuratively carry her with me everywhere I go. I now live alone and sometimes I will sit in my apartment alone and I'll look around me at, I have photos of her in my apartment and I'll look at those photos and I'll think about the fact that now when my girlfriend and I are at my apartment, my mom's looking down and she knows and I get really weird thinking about that. I think about the fact that we never got to see Santa. Like, we never found the time to go to the mall to, for her to get all her answers, questions answered. And I think about the fact that three years later, I still can't bring myself to buy a Christmas tree every winter. That is so... It's even more heart-wrenching hearing this story one-on-one and not in an audience of people. Oh, well, I, I, okay, first off, I discuss it. That's such a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sorry that you lost your mother. Thank you. Um, I actually have a, a relationship with my own mom that's very like, we do not see eye to eye. And, and I often worry that if she knew me in any other capacity, she wouldn't even like me as a human being. Oh, man. You know that feeling? Yeah. And... I guess, like, if you could distill this experience into a message for anyone who has maybe a, a relationship with their mom that's confrontational and, mm-hmm. and strained, mm-hmm. what have you learned from all this? It's all about the small moments that you take for granted. Uh, when my mom and I were living together, we used to fight and, you know, get into arguments and whatnot, but every once in a while we would sit on her bed together and actually watch CP24 together. And now I think back to those moments and those were, I think, just watching TV and chatting about your day, like, that's as simple as it can get. And that's that's human connection. That's love. So just don't take those small moments for granted because that's, that's what you'll miss the most. Like, I... If I could go back, I would lose every argument I ever had with her just to be able to hear her voice again just to be able to sit next to her and watch stupid freaking cp24 again so don't don't take those small moments for granted thank you so much for sharing your story thank you for having me this was so lovely um so beautiful i'm gonna be thinking about it constantly um 
Is there anything you'd like to promote, or how can we see you? We want to see more things that you oh, do. Oh boy. Um. Well, I am in a in two sketch troupes. Uh. So I am performing with Not Oasis at the Toronto Sketch Comedy Festival tonight. That's on right now. Yeah, that's it, happening. It, listen, right now. listeners, you won't be able to see it by the time this comes out, but trust me, it went great. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and. I'm also in a sketch comedy troupe called Dead Parent Society. It's a... Oh, man! <laughs> yeah, is Jesus that a surprise? Christ. I know, I know. Come on! Yeah, it's, a, it, <laughs> oh, it's no. a comedy, I swear. It's a comedy about grief. Um, we had a, a... It's me and four other comedians in our 20, uh, 20s who all lost a parent at a young age. We oh. felt like aliens walking through the world until we found each other and the connection we had is what helped us find comedy in our experiences and it is honestly like it's my it's my favorite thing I've ever worked on it means the world to me and it is also my tribute to my mother so that's beautiful dead parent society thank dead you dead parent society yeah so dead parent society is happening as part of the uh, as part of the Toronto Sketch Comedy Festival next weekend uh, March 12, 13, 14 at uh, Streetcar Crow's Nest um, you can find us online, uh, search for Dead Parents Society. We're probably one of the only ones you'll find on Facebook and Instagram. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Soleam. So that's S-O-L-E-A-H-M. Um, yeah. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Bye. <laughs> On my couch right now is comedian and storyteller Elaine Gold. Hi. Hi, Lindsay. I'm so glad to meet you and be on your big comfy couch. Oh, thank you. Um, we're talking about about moms and that very complicated relationship between child and parent, specifically moms. That's such a hang up for some people. Um, may I just ask you, you are a mom. I have three offspring and you had a mom absolutely and and i even have a granddaughter oh wow so i have a lot of that maternal energy in my life yeah all right so i'm just gonna like let you take it away because you know your life tell me your story about your mother okay so this is uh just a snippet really of all the many amazing things that went on with my mother and i so when i was about 26 uh, my mom lived in St. Catharines and I lived in Toronto and she used to come into Toronto all the time to hang out with me. This occasion was specifically to take me, um, underwear or maybe we could call it lingerie shopping. I wasn't going to go for your any, mo your mom wanted, to yeah, my mom wanted to buy me better underwear than she thought I had. And some of my, uh, perfume that I wore, why you wonder? Well, because she was, I guess, really wanting to tart me up even further <laughs> because I was dating, uh, an older man who was, um, a conductor and a composer and had conducted the St. Catherine Symphony when I was a little girl. And I found out that my mom and all the Jewish women in St. Catherine's had had a big crush on this dude. Oh, so she's like living vicariously through you. Exactly. Wow. I mean, she, nice weird start to this story. So weird. But because my mother and I always had a very, very close and unusual dynamic, which I'll get into in a minute, um, nothing that went on between us seemed unusual. 
we talked about everything. There was nothing I couldn't talk to my mom about. So she was really intrigued with the fact that I was sleeping with this man. And she, uh, I remember her talking about him when I was a kid and saying that she liked his boyish good looks. Oh my God. She actually talked about him when you were a child. Yeah, I was like 13 oh, or 14. so weird. Okay. Yeah. But I never thought it was weird. I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't know. And, um, so I ended up meeting him because I was living with my best friend who uh, is still my best friend and he was is gay and he was having a relationship with this guy's son. Okay. So my best gay roommate friend and his boyfriend set, were setting us up right. as a thing and my uh, friend's boyfriend said, oh, my dad loves younger women and I know you like older men let's make it happen oh my god that's how that happened so we started going out and it was um it was okay you know he was just sort of an arrogant older guy and um but my mom was like beside herself first of all he was Jewish and you know the whole thing when you're Jewish is your mom wants you to be sleeping with a Jewish man right right so we were having, you know, we were talking and looking at underwear and, and stuff. And my mother said, I have something to tell you that you don't know. And I said, what do you mean? I know everything. I know everything about you. I know everything about our family. We have no secrets. We're a family that all we do is talk. Right. No one in my family has ever said, I don't want to talk about it. Right. So I said, what, what is it? She said, well, when you were six weeks old... And, uh, I was unwell, um, psychologically, mentally, emotionally, I was taken away from you and I was put in the Hamilton mental health facility. When I was a kid, we called it Hamilton on the Hill. It was like stuff of nightmares. So here I was finding out at age 26 that maybe the reason that I hadn't had a decent relationship and had all sorts of trust issues and was just completely messed up emotionally was that I wasn't with my mom. I can really relate to this idea of the, the attachment issues yes. with a parent and it, and, and you kind of feel inconsistencies exactly. and then it stresses you out, fucks up all your romantic relationships. Fucks up all my romantic relationships, yeah. which I'll get to more to later. So I was shocked. I wasn't upset. I was Obviously, I wasn't mad at her because it was out of her hands. No one wants to leave a six-week-old baby. And I did some research um, about 15 years ago, so many years after this conversation with my mother, and it was after she had died, where I wrote a letter, uh, an old-timey letter on paper with a stamp and everything, and I mailed it to this uh, mental health facility. And because that was so long ago, they didn't have... Of course, nothing was on computer. And they did say... That as far as they knew, they didn't have exact dates, but she was there until almost the end of October. Okay. Okay, so if I do a little bit of math, that's August, September, October. So I think she went at the maybe third week of August, and she was gone until the end of October. So I was without my mother as a newborn baby mm-hmm. for... All I'm going to say is way too fucking long. Right. Okay. And I was looked at. Who was looking after me? I said. That was my first question. 
Well, my Bubby, which is what Jewish people call their uh, grandmother, her name is Clara. She, it's my mom's mom. She was one of the people. Mm-hmm. My dad, but I mean, he was at work and he was not to be sexist, but he's a man. Yeah. And 64 years ago, men were not the right. child rearing stars they might be now. Right. And apparently there was some random Scottish woman that came in to look after me. I don't know. As you do. As you do. You Um. get some (laughs) type of a nanny-ish type person. But that meant, okay, obviously I had no breast milk. I did have some breast milk in the first six weeks, apparently. So um, just moving on to the next bit, because this is is what really um, uh, caught my attention when you told me before. You kind of had, I don't know. Is it a full circle moment with an unexpected surprise in your dating life? Yes. Well, I, um, so we talked and we laughed and I said, mom, you know, whatever, I love you. And my mother and I were always incredibly close. So six months later, uh, I'm still seeing this dude and I wake up one morning and, uh, I say to my roommate who had introduced me to this man, I said, I'm pregnant. Oh, And I said, he said, how do you don't know that you're pregnant? How do you know that you're pregnant? You haven't had a test. You don't know anything about it. I said, I've been pregnant twice before and I had abortions when I needed to have them because it's a woman's Mm -hmm. right and it's legal. And I said, I know I'm pregnant. And so you just physiologically feel it. I felt every inch of me. And maybe when it's your third time, your body really kicks in. Right. And I said to him, what am I going to do? Am I going to, I'm someone that really, really, really wants to have a baby, mm-hmm. but am I going to have another abortion? Cause I'm not in a stable situation. Am I ever going to be in a stable situation? Given what my mom told me six months ago, I don't know if I'll ever be in a stable situation because I can't trust anyone. I have com- horrible attachment issues and I maybe never am going to be in a situation where I can say this is now perfect, although nothing is ever perfect. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what to do. So uh, the very first thing I did, of course, was tell my mom and my mother was excited in a way if I was going to go through with it and I was excited. And when I, I told her I was, and I went and I did have a proper pregnancy blood test because I didn't even want to waste the money to go to the uh, shopper's drug mart and get a pregnancy test. So I found out 100% I'm pregnant. And it was the conductor guy? The conductor. Now, this is a shock to me. And I'm just going to get a little, uh, give you a little bit of a physiological uh, sex test. Oh, I'm I had excited. An, I don't get enough of those. No, you're going to get some instruction here. I had an IUD in, uh-huh. firmly there. Uh, the man I was having sex with was 24 years older. Now, now I'm so old that he was 50 and that doesn't really seem old to me, but he was an alcoholic. It's sort of in that charming, creative way. He changed. <laughs> oh yeah. The things we tell ourselves. The way we romanticize that. Yeah. Okay, cute. Yeah. Uh, he was a chain smoker of marijuana, which was fine. I'm a big weed smoker. Still am to this day. You're saying the swimmers shouldn't have been good. And he was a, a chain a cigarette smoker. So, and many of the times when we went to do the sex, he couldn't get it up. So in my mind, I'm adding this all up and I'm saying there's nothing that should be growing in that life finds a way in that IUD cavity. 
and I was pregnant. And I said, you know what? I think this is my baby. This is the baby that I am supposed to have. How it got here, I don't know. I want to ask you yeah. this. Um, do you think your mom admitting that stuff to you that day while panty shopping helped uh, tilt the scales about making this choice? I think it did, but I didn't, I wasn't even aware of it until the moment I sat in my apartment feeling nauseous with tender breasts saying, oh no, this is it. I'm doing this. Hmm. And so shocked, couldn't believe it. And I said to my roommate, what should I do? And he said, I'll always be there for this child. And I said, really? Because this isn't just a time when you think you're trying out a new routine at Yuck Yucks. Like, this is like a bigger deal. Right. He said, no, no, I get it. And we made this, although still, I wasn't going to live with him. He wasn't going to help me. He'd sort of help me raise it, but he wasn't there hands on. So it was all going to fall on me. And I was about to become a single mother. No, I forgot to imagine that I'm also going to be a single pregnant woman. And that was hard because I romanticized that all every other pregnant woman but me was being loved and feted and patted and taken care of by this perfect um, partner. Right. And that, that's not even what happens, okay? So anyway, I decided though, um, oh, and the whole thing was, it was all still in my mind, like that my mother hadn't been there for me and now I'm going to have a baby. And my mother had been in this horrible, horrible, um, institution that had, you know, something I'd heard of as a kid and I couldn't imagine. And now I was going to be a mother and was I going to be okay? Cause my mother had this terrible postpartum and look yeah. what it had done to me. So, so what changed all that for you? What altered your perspective on that? I think because my mother and I had become so close once, and she had other mental health issues right. when I was a little girl where she was taken to other but, mental health facilities. But my mother and I, we formed a bond. Well, first of all, part of it was that I didn't ever want to be away from her. Right. But, of course, at the time, I didn't know why. So, but your relationship got a lot closer as you got older. It got stronger and stronger and stronger. And my mother was the most amazing woman. She was a Jewish woman who was obsessed with everything Scottish. She did Scottish country dancing. She had tons of Scottish friends. She um, loved, although My Fair Lady, not a Scottish uh, musical, everyone's speaking with a Cockney accent. My mother could do Cockney accents. She could do British accents. She would sing the whole soundtrack of My Fair Lady in a Cockney accent. She was just wacky. She loved yoga. She loved dancing. She loved cooking. She loved people. She loved having people over. So my mother and I, my mother did the most amazing things and she was nurturing and my friends all loved her and just the most beloved woman. And I was always really, really grateful to have her as my mother. And so much so, I'll give you an example. When I was a little girl, like long after my mother, you know, was not, she wasn't institutionalized, although she had been off and on, but maybe I was seven or eight. And mm -hmm. I remember saying to 
um, one of my friends, boy, I feel sorry for you because you don't have a, an amazing mom like I do. I felt sorry for my girlfriends because they didn't have such a good mother like me. I, I just felt like I had the best mother. Wow. So anyway, when, when I was pregnant, I knew 100% that I was going to go and live with my parents in St. Catharines. I hate St. Catharines. And I was going to take my baby and I hoped it would be a girl. And I was very lucky and I had a girl and I named her after my bubby who had looked after me. Yeah. And I went to St. Catharines with my baby when she was five days old. My dad drove us. And I remember we stopped at the drugstore just before we got home to my parents' house and bought a box of diapers. And it was the most amazing time of my life. And I almost still cry, and you might even get me to, every time I think about it. And it's 30, almost 38 years ago. Because my mother and I got to be with my newborn. And my mother, I got to see my mother with my newborn daughter. And I got to see them bond. Plus, she was named after my mother's mother. And and it kind of... It was like my mom had a do-over. It heals it, yeah. It, and it totally healed. Although I had no... On one hand, I thought I had gone through it okay. Uh -huh. But on the other hand, now that I'm 64, and I look back on my long train of relationships I will call them all failed relationships I have never had a good relationship and now I look back at that and I see what that had done to me although no one wanted me hurt like that but that's literally brain that. damage on a newborn <laughs> yeah thanks yeah well so but you had that moment of healing totally and, and that's really beautiful right and my daughter um has a little girl and my, the little girl is named after my mother. And I'm happy to report that my daughter is in an amazing relationship with an incredible man because I didn't want my curse to fall on her. And it all ended up well, except I'm still single and I have never had a decent relationship. But, but you have a Tinder date tonight, you told me. I have a Tinder so date that's tonight. Exciting. I've had many, many Tinder dates. I've been online dating off and on for the last 10 years. And I'm kind of sick of it. But you know what? I'm going to end this on a positive note. Oh, yeah. Because we, we seesaw back and forth, but I want to end it on a positive note. I think your date's going to go great. You know what? Just hearing you say that makes me confident it will. Thank okay. you for that Thank good vibe. Thank you for being on the show. Loved um, it. Can you promote any shows so people can come watch you? Well, if everyone loved what I did and you want to see more of this malarkey, yes, I'm going to do um, Crimson Wave at Comedy Bar on okay. Sunday, March 15th at 9.30. I'd love for you to come to that show because it's always fabulous. And I'm also doing a comedy show at Social Capital on March 27th. And that show is at 10 o'clock p.m. and I maybe I'll see you there. Thank okay, you. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Loved it. Bye. All righty. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Truth Be Told, the podcast. Mommy magic. Thanks, guys. Thank you for taking a break from the coronavirus pandemic to enjoy this podcast. Actually, you know what? That's uh, that's an assumption. Maybe you're not taking a break from the coronavirus pandemic. Maybe you are hearing this episode months and months and months and months in the future. 
And you're thinking right now, coronavirus, that was a while ago. That was a weird two weeks. Wow, this this episode is a weird time capsule from a time nobody cares about anymore. Now that the subway mole people are ruling the earth and humans have been wiped out. Guys, I'm joking. The mole people are not going to rule the earth. They're going to stay in the subway and we will keep acting as though we rule the earth even though we don't. No one's bigger than nature. Let's move on. Okay, guys, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Truth Be Told, the podcast. And I don't want to just thank you. I want to thank all the people involved in this episode, starting with my fabulous guests. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you to Christy Bruce, Aurora Brown, and Shohana Sharman, and Elaine Gold. You guys were awesome. Thank you for sharing your truths with me. Thank you also to Matthew Reed. He made the music for this podcast. Thank you to Catherine Fogler, who did the podcast photography. Thank you to Kurt Furla, who did the graphic design on that podcast photography. Thank you to the boys at the Sonar Network, Michael Mangiardi and Cody Crane. They produced this podcast. And if you haven't heard some of the other podcasts on the Sonar Network, you are missing out. Go look them up. They're great. Thank you to everybody. Thank you to Trevor Pullman. Oh my God, Trevor. He helps me edit this podcast and I need him. Thanks so much, Trevor. Guys, if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can. My handle is at Mullo. That's L-I-N-D-S-O-M-U-L-L-O. And you can send me a direct message because I, as I mentioned last episode, Truce Be Told is coming to an end quite shortly. And if you want to send me a question to answer, I'm going to be taking questions and answering them on the very last episode. You can ask me about the show itself, my personal experiences. It'll be fun. I love Q&As. So send me a question through Instagram. Direct message me. Slide into my DMs. Yes. Please tell your friends about this podcast. And please stick around until the very end on episode 30. Yes. You've been a fabulous audience. You're going to get through this tough time. And uh, you will hear my voice again soon with more stories. Yeah. All right, guys. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar!